kind of review, right? So the last little more than a month now, we've been talking about God's glory. And so when we refer to God's glory, we're not saying that we need to add something to make God complete. Uh, He doesn't need us to revere him so that he can feel better about himself. That's not what we're saying. No, to glorify God is to praise and worship him for who he is. And it's to enhance his reputation above everything else in this universe. He alone is the one who is worthy of worship, adoration, and praise. He is the center of the universe and the purpose of all life. See, you and I exist solely for the purpose of glorifying God. That's why we're here. To enhance his reputation. We are made to worship him, to revere him, and to find our primary sense of fulfillment and purpose in nothing other than him alone. As Gary taught us last month, he is our creator, as in Psalm 19. He's our sustainer, as in Colossians 1, verse 16. And he's the sovereign, Hebrews chapter 1. We are to do all things for his glory. But we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit in us because of our love for him. And I think sometimes we really have a difficult time connecting in this whole concept of loving God, right? We feel this emotion with humans and stuff. And and I think if most followers of Christ were really honest, they have a tough time feeling, understanding, and fully mentally acknowledging love for our Savior. But... The Apostle Paul has already prayed for us in this area. If you look in Ephesians 3, verse 14, beginning there, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, all of us. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power, that is in work at us, is at work within us, to him be the glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen. We do all things for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. Colossians 3, verses 15 through 19 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we live for the purpose of glorifying God, we come very aware that the things that we have attained 
acquired and achieved are, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Pursuing our own glory is worthless. So we pursue what we worship. So what if, instead of worshiping God primarily from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. on Sundays, and giving God just a portion of our daily life, as you see here, I think this is pretty typical of most of us, right? We have our job stuff, our parenting stuff, then we have our section over here of God stuff that tends to be more obvious on Sunday morning, right? What about if instead of living that pattern, we do this, right? We're here, God, everything that we do, instead of having this peace, everything we do, God is the context from how he is working in us and through us with others. How would that change? Not just us, but how would that change as how we are seen in our other relationships in our community? It would overhaul, it would be dramatically different. So last week, Wes taught about glorifying God in the church out of Ephesians 4 as well. He said, as a prisoner from the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Wes reminded us that if we look at the intrapersonal portion of this in the church, through that verse we pull out that we are to carry one another when it's hard. It's called that bearing, bearing us up. Right? We're to preserve unity, which he reminded us is not the same, right? but that we're in harmony, even though we are very different and we have different opinions and views. Right? We are still unified in our church body, and we are to use our spiritual gifts to build up the church. So guess what? There's only one way we can get there. And Wes already read that as part of this call to worship, and that is we are told to put off our old self, Right? And that we are to put on our new self to be created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Mike and I are trying to go this morning of demonstrating harmony between two teaching people, um, which is not the easiest way to do a sermon, by the way. Um, the text that if we, we try to, we don't just kind of preach opinions here at Grace Point. It's always tied to the text. And there's always an overall text. And the text that has been through our entire study of glorifying God has been Ephesians 4, or Ephesians, the book of, and a little bit from 3 and a little bit from 4 last week, and we'll do a little bit from more from 4 right now. Uh, the text we'll be preaching out of is 4, verses 24 through 32. And let me read that, and then we'll pray, and we'll start digging into the, the lesson this today between the two of us. Uh, verse 24, And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the needs of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Holy Father, we thank you this morning for your word given to us in a language we can understand, and we pray this morning as we unpack your word that any failings of Mike and I would be completely overwhelmed by your spirit and that we would not utter an untruth this morning. We thank you that we can gather and study your word in a language we understand again. And Father, we thank you for those that went before us to give us the gift of a Bible in the English language. In all these things, we ask that your name would be glorified. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, so uh, what we want to do is divide up this passage into kind of uh, three parts. And they're not in order. They kind of, they're a little bit kind of groupings. One is how we communicate. Another is we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit within us. And then the third one is kind of how do we act, the, the actions we take. So we're kind of separating communication from action, and then kind of the, the overall one is sort of don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I'll take care of communication, and I'll let Mike do all the really hard parts, which are the other two parts. Um, in chapter 4, what Paul is talking about, the author, the Apostle Paul, is really talking about there's a difference between our flesh, our sin nature, our human nature, and the nature that God puts within us, and that there's he uses the phrase new man. And so we're going to, as I go through this, there'll be a lot of kind of definitions of things. And if we're trying to, the big idea here is we want to glorify God in our personal lives. How do we do that? Well, we want to communicate in a certain way, act in a certain way, and kind of the overall term is don't grieve the Holy Spirit. If we do those things the way we're kind of taught, instructed, guided, following principles, we will glorify God in our personal life. And that will help us glorify God in the church, and God is glorified, which is our purpose. So the overall idea for communication is you put on the new self, the new person. Some of your translations might say, put on the new man. And looking at those words is kind of interesting. That The idea is that there's an old person, there's an old West Crego that wasn't justified, that wasn't saved, that didn't know Jesus Christ, and that guy is terrible. And there's this new guy who probably still does a lot of terrible things, but he has the ability not to do those things. That Christ created a new West Crago when I was saved. 14 years old when that happened, and I'm a completely new person. And Paul contrasts, the old self, get rid of it. It's corrupt. It's terrible. It might not have been awful. It might have, you know, by earthly standards, wasn't, you know, didn't rob banks, but it was corrupt. It, was, it didn't have God in him. And there's a new Wes Crago who still sins and still does bad things, but he's got God inside of him, and he's a new person. All of us are that way if you're a believer. So new seems like a pretty common word, but it's interesting that the word new, 
that's used in the Bible there doesn't just mean new. It also refers to being fresh or being um, unused ever before. But the word that really stood out to me is unprecedented, never before seen. So new in this case is the never before seen man. And if your translation has man, understand Paul is not sexist. The, the word man in Greek in this case means person, human, humankind, an actual living, breathing person. So women, you're not off the hook in this, this whole setting. And guys, you're not exclusively on the hook. It's all of us together. So the idea, um, you see that new and the new person. When uh, in Matthew it talks about putting new wineskins and using new wineskins, same word new. Um, in, I've uh, got to find it here, John 13, a new command I give to you to love one another. New command, never before seen command, that we're going to love one another differently. <clears throat> and the other one that we'll refer to today a couple times is a new covenant in Christ's blood is going to be discussed when we talk about communion. The new covenant, the never-before-seen covenant, this unique covenant, this one-sided contract. So, Paul describes us, he says, put on the new person. New, unprecedented, never-before-seen person to human person. And he describes the new person with two, I find, slightly scary qualities. First, we're created by God. That new person, sometimes you hear born again, I kind of like newly created by God. It's, we're a created person. It's the flesh is matter. It's the spirit that is regenerated, is new because of the Holy Spirit. And the second quality is that we're created, this new person is created in the likeness of God. Now, when I think about my daily actions, which we're going to talk about here a lot, and Mike's going to hit some of it, I'm going to hit some of it, how we communicate things we do, if I'm created in the likeness of God, I don't always act like that, right? I say stupid stuff. I do stupid things. And that's not how I'm supposed to be. That's not being the new self. That's being the old self. Because habits are hard to break, right? We have earthly habits. We have fleshly habits. My old person had habits that are sometimes hard to break as a new person. Now, today we're going to observe communion together, which is an excellent example of reflecting on the new person we are, something that we do together to be the new person, to be that person. How do you do that? It kind of falls out of this verse. And again, I'm going to jump around with the verses just a little bit, but the the three points I want to make about being the new person in your communication. So how we speak, how we communicate. Three points about communicating as the new person. Because communication is important. That's why Paul called it out in the Bible here. First one is verse 25. Speak truth, each of you. Speak truth. And do it as God. To speak truth. And it's not just speaking because it's communicating. Speaking might be done with words. In fact, the the translation of the word speak talks about words, which means it's our writing as well. Christians are called to be truth speakers. I know most of you in here, at least relatively well, and I have no problem saying I doubt any of you are intentional liars. I don't think you say, I'm going to lie to this person, I'm going to get a free whatever at the espresso stand. You don't do that. I believe that. I know most of you. I just don't see that. So that's probably easy for you to hear. 
the pastor or the assistant pastor stands up and says, hey, speak truth, don't lie. What can, I can sit in the pew and feel good about myself. Yeah, I don't lie. That's good. But I want to get a, this, there's more to it. <laughs> and this gets a little uncomfortable for me and hopefully a little bit uncomfortable for you because lying is obvious intentionally, but it's also a lie if I forward something that isn't true with my name on it. It's also a lie if I share something on Facebook that isn't true and it's got my name on it. It's also a lie if I tell a story about someone that I don't know personally that isn't necessarily true, but I shared it publicly. That's got my name on it. And that's not telling the truth. And the trouble in our modern age, our neighbors can be all across the world with the Internet. My ability to communicate is phenomenal. I can do it instantly with lots of people. And I don't have to think about what I say. I just have to move my finger. Click. And I may have just issued a falsehood. That's called bearing false witness. I see something on Facebook. Let's say it's political. Gosh, what would be the odds? <laughs> and it's something making fun of a, a candidate that I personally don't agree with. So I hit click. And it shares. And now, all across the Internet, Wes Crago says, this is a good article. What if that article isn't true? What if that article is not well-researched? What if that article has problems with it? that maybe are not very Christian values. That's got my name on it as a Christian speaking untruth. I am bearing a false witness, and that's exactly what Paul's talking about. And I'll tell you, at my job, I run into a lot of the wreckage of people that have read false emails that were forwarded by people that they thought were true. And things on Facebook, I have to clean up the damage from. And people that aren't Christians... Believe me, they notice when a Christian shares something that wasn't well-researched or wasn't true, whether it's about Mars is going to be twice the size of the full moon next month or the crazy conspiracy theory of the week or something the president or Hillary Clinton did last year. That's all we heard about. People notice it. If it's shared by a Christian, it's not true. Christian author, a guy named Ed Stetzer, he's a pastor. Um, he wrote an article. This is the title of the article. Christians, repent of spreading conspiracy theories and fake news. It's bearing false witness. He gives some examples of a, a controversy from about six months ago that involved um, the death of a guy named Seth Rich and the Hillary Clinton campaign and Pizzagate. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just be blessed that you don't know. It's not worth looking into. You don't want a piece of this. It's, you, you're a, a better, happier person not knowing anything about it. But for whatever reason, that seemed to resonate with Christians of a certain stripe, and they forwarded it and shared it all around the world to the point where the, this boy that was murdered, his family was horribly hurt by the, the circumstance of the death of a son being used for political purposes fictitiously. Now... Christians will sometimes, in this case, were justifying lying, bearing a false witness because of personal prejudice, because they thought there's media bias, because they thought this somehow demonstrated something about the Clinton campaign. This pastor, who is a conservative politically, by the way, said that basically when we spread on Facebook a false story or forward an email that isn't 100% true, it harms our ability to witness 
How can someone listen to us about what's true about Jesus Christ if we don't share the truth with something stupid like politics or facts or whatever topic of the week is? If we're not being truthful in what we do, people don't want to, they're not going to believe us when we talk about the most important thing about Jesus Christ. He also said that when we share this false stuff, it causes pain. Those are real people at the end of the line that are real people that read this stuff and are hurt by what's being spread. We're hurting people. Not exactly the message Jesus wants us to to do, to spread things that hurt people. And he points out that this is sin. Last month, a sheriff deputy in Grant County was at home and has discharged his firearm accidentally. And the bullet struck his wife. She's in the hospital. He's getting some time off. You've probably heard about this. Now, is that a news story? I don't know if that's really a worthy news story. I suppose it probably is at the end of the day. But on Facebook, a lot of people felt the need to go and comment on that, as if I really needed to hear what everybody's opinion was. And it's weird. The opinions were not real kind. There were all these gun experts suddenly that came out on Facebook about, how, oh, that's terrible. And there was speculation on what happened. There's no facts yet, other than... A firearm went off, it was accidental, his wife's in the hospital. But no, everybody wanted to speculate. Oh, I bet it was was domestic violence. Oh, I bet it was this, I bet it was that. Some of those people statistically were probably believers. I don't think they would say that to the face of the deputy or the deputy's wife or their family, right? I think we're polite enough we wouldn't do that. But somehow online makes it okay. It's not okay. It's got your name on it. You're responsible for what you share. And it was horrible reading those comments. I was embarrassed. It made me sick to my stomach to think that in our community, a member of our community, we were speculating openly about somebody's going through the worst day of their life and we're being helpful. Not good. We're called to a higher standard than that, folks. Dave Johnson's reading a book called Think Before You Share. Pretty good title. title says it all. I think Dave will probably ask Dave about it. He'll tell you about it. It's a pretty interesting book so far. So think before you share. That's part one. Want to glorify God in your communication? First off, speak the truth. Second point, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace. Now you're probably, if you're like me, you hear this and all of a sudden you're thinking back. What did I post on Facebook? What email did my hyper-conservative father in jest send me that I forwarded on that I didn't really look at real close? Um, if you're worried about that, that's probably healthy. But if you're worried about, is it good to share, is it good to not, the, the, what we're looking for here is wholesomeness. Is it unwholesome? Don't share it. Unwholesome is defined as putrid, diseased, rotting. That's not something good, Right? The opposite of that would be wholesome, and if you look at the opposite of it, the the words used in the Bible, they're like medicine words, things that heal, things that make you better. And there's an interesting word in that phrase. I like big words because, you know, it makes you look smart when you're not. Edification. You hear that a lot in churches. You usually don't hear it outside of the church. But edification means to build something, to build something up physically. And so if you're communicating with people and you're thinking about, should I share this, should I not, First off, is it true? Now, there can be a lot of things, though, that are true, but is it building people up? Is it wholesome? Does it build somebody up? And if it doesn't build somebody up, I would say don't. Don't communicate that. 
communicate things that build people up. Um, I work with a lot of officials in Olympia, part of my job. A lot of state officials, right up to the governor sometimes. I have very strong opinions about the people that I work with and about why we don't have a waterline project going on down Basin Street right now because of something going on in Olympia. And I have strong feelings about that. I could share things that are very true. There's no question that they're, they're true what's happened. But is it wholesome? Is it positive? No. So I give up my right to shout my opinion on emails or anywhere else, frankly, on things because it wouldn't be edifying. It wouldn't build people up. And you know what? I might meet the governor sometime. In fact, he's going to be in Efreda this month. I would hate that I shared something stupid on an email that gets back to the governor and I see him face to face, right? That's not good. So when I've said before that sometimes to be, it's, to be a Christian is to be un-American, that's one of the, here's an example of it. You give up your right to shout about politicians as a Christian in a negative manner. You can vote how you want to, but is it build somebody up to crab about them verbally? I don't think it does. Our communications are supposed to give grace to people who hear it. It's supposed to be a blessing to people. Not just is it true, is it bless people when they hear us communicate. To glorify God means to communicate in a way that blesses people. Here's where it comes home to me. And you can try this today. Because I'm rotten at it. Sports. I'm watching sports. I can shout things that are true, but is it edifying? Does that build up the guy sitting in front of me in the stands? And the third quality, that number three, does it give grace? Does it give grace to the guy on the field who's working his fanny off, and I'm up there in the stands making, you know, crabbing about the, the, how I, why'd he drop the ball? Does it give grace to the guy right below me who's probably getting my spit on his neck as I'm shouting about this? And... Does that build them up? Does that give them a blessing that they hear me yelling? You know, I watch college football. You know every kid on the bench, even, in a college game is probably the greatest player their high school ever produced. They probably have a stadium named after the bench warmer on the Husky field. You know, that kid's high school, they're as proud as they could be of that kid. And then you get to the pro level. When I watch sports, I don't turn off being a Christian. It's what Mike talked about. If I'm being a Christian while I'm watching sports, I maybe should clean up the stupid things I yell, even if it's just at the TV, especially if it's the TV. Because you know what? I have somebody that listens to the game and watches the game with me. I have an 18-year-old. Well, almost. 17-year-old. Freaking me out. (laughs) She's watching. She's listening. Other people are watching and listening. So even though I'm not yelling at that poor kid on the Husky bench that dropped the ball, personally, other people are seeing what I do. Is it true and wholesome and giving grace? That's how we're called to communicate in a way that glorifies God. So that's the communication side of Ephesians 4. Now we want to talk about the actions side of Ephesians 4. So if we revisit verse 30, it goes and says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, the funny thing is that we tend to forget. You know, we're really good at, you know, you see this version of me. This is the version I choose to let you see of me. My work sees a certain mic. My wife sees a certain mic, right? Here's what we always forget. Where I go, the Holy Spirit goes with me, right? The Holy Spirit knows my unfiltered thoughts, and the Holy Spirit sees every action and knows every motive behind it. How? It's true. So even though we can convince ourselves that we're pretty good, the fact is the Holy Spirit knows all of that. And we are told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And so often, and when I say we, I do mean including me, um, it's really easy as we knowingly commit sin that we just kind of think, you know, God's just, oh, Mike, when you learn, do it again. That's not the case. It grieves him. And so grieving the Holy Spirit is to afflict with deep sorrow. Feels a little different, doesn't it? So there's really, in the, in the actions part of this, there's not a whole lot to pontificate about here. It's actually pretty straightforward. He says exactly what we need to do to not grieve the Holy Spirit. What was kind of interesting this morning as I was running through this was I'm not always a big definition guy, but as I read this list, I, you know, bitterness, rage, anger. I, you know, you tend to put all that together, at least I do. I see them very similar, maybe different levels. But it drove me to actually look for definitions on what each of these different things that we're told not to do. And I want to share them with you. And as I share them with you, I want you to think for just a second. Rewind your tapes for the last week, the last month, and see how you're doing. And be honest with yourself, right? Holy Spirit goes with you. So, right, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. So let's look at bitterness. Bitterness is resentment. Feeling of indignant displeasure or persistent ill will at something regarded as unfair. Kind of puts a different slant on it for me. We, you know, we feel like we can do that. We give ourselves grace in that because we feel, well, it was unfair. I'm entitled to be bitter. I didn't deserve that. According to this, we're not allowed. Rage seems a little more obvious, and we can all go, I got that one under control. It's uncontrollable, violent anger. What about anger, though? Anger is defined as a strong feeling of displeasure and belligerence 
can't scratch that one off. How's your week looked? Brawl. Now, see, I pictured that, and you know, like some old Western where they're duking it out in the bar, guy going through the window, right? can be as simple as a noisy quarrel. Why would that? What do you suppose that? I can remember a time. Uh, we were in Oregon uh, in the Air Force getting ready to move from uh, Arizona to Alaska. And, uh, you know, as married people do, once in a while there are things that occur, trends that happen that can get you a little upset. And so I am at my father-in-law's house, and we're working really hard on building this thing to leave a boat of ours down in Oregon. I didn't want to tow it all the way up to Alaska. So we're working really hard, and Sue, at least, this is my version, okay? (laughs) I'm going to admit there may be some shades in there that may not be totally representative. I don't think they're untruths, per se, though. So Sue is enjoying the heck out of it. She's out going places with her friends. And, and I just don't really exactly remember what set it off. But I got upset that she was out playing and enjoying all this stuff while I'm working and working and working. And so we went out to the garage because I wanted to talk to her. Because I think I made something and she kind of made fun of me or something. I don't remember. See, I guess I shouldn't have shared that part, huh? So anyway, picture this. We're in the garage, and I said something about, uh, you know, I don't even know what I said. But it was about, you know, probably, you know, you could sure help a little more around here. None of you have ever said anything like that, right? Or, uh, you know, don't make fun of me when I get upset about something. And she rolled her eyes at me. I do remember that. And she, that, that blind went down, and she was done listening to me. Well, clearly, she just had not heard what I had to say. So I think I'm going to say it a little louder and louder. And by the time I was done, actually, I think I might be able to categorize it as rage. That's funny and really not. And, you know, here's why I think we can come back to this whole noisy quarrel. What's the big deal about a noisy quarrel? I don't know how long I was yelling, because I was. And, of course, when we, you know, a garage seems like it contains all the sound. <laughs> we, we went in, and not a word from her parents, right? We're in there, and it's just quiet. But here is the hilarious thing, and actually a very, very sad thing. They have this hedge between them and their neighbor. And uh, was it Tim the Toolman had the neighbor guy that talked across the hedge? The neighbor. I don't even know this guy. Says, hey, Mike, come here. So I, I go over there and he goes, hey, I really like how you handled Sue this morning. <laughs> More men ought to do stuff like that. Now. This isn't about the commentary or his opinion, because I'll tell you it was wrong. I am, I am never going to be effective communicating with anybody in that form. But what sort of example 
did I leave the neighbor with respect to how a follower of Jesus Christ communicates with his wife? Mm. That's why the brawl is in the list of grieving the Holy Spirit. Kind of a side story. Okay, what about slander? Slander is oral communication of false and malicious statements that damage the reputation of another. It causes damage. It's not just something that feels good. A lot of times we, people do that because we want to build sides, right? We want more people to be on our side to think like us so we feel better about ourselves and our position. But we can inflict damage to the reputation of others. And that's hard to, hard to fix, isn't it? seems like things stick. But when the newspaper prints the correction, for example, anybody ever remember that? Most people just blow right past it. What they remember is the false thing that was said. And then there's malice, right? It says, along with every form of malice, we're supposed to get rid of that, right? And so malice is a desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another, either because of a hostile impulse or out of deep-seated meanness. We're intending to hurt them. Grieves the Holy Spirit. Instead of those things, though, verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And frankly, I don't think there's any better way to remember how in Christ God forgave us than us remembering that in communion, which Wes is going to pick up, and that's where we're headed. So if you, if you are a fan of the three-point sermon, I am. The last point is always the application. What do you do? We don't come here to be smart, although that's a nice side benefit to learn your Bible and to know a little bit more about things. But it's what do you do with it? How do we grow closer to Christ? And that's today, happily arranged by the Holy Spirit, happens to be the Sunday that we like to observe communion. And we'll put like a little different facet. Communion's a big, a lot of things going on in communion. We're going to look at one little aspect, emphasize one aspect of that, and that is the idea of forgiveness. So as the men that are going to help serve this morning come forward, we want to be communicators of the truth. We want to be doers of the truth. We want to do things that bless people that aren't angry, that don't have this idea of malice. But everything we're trying to do is to glorify God in what we do, what we say. And that is glorifying God in the church, and that ultimately glorifies God who deserves it. And to do that well First off, you could walk away from today feeling like, I'm a bad person. I shout at football players. I've shared things on Facebook that I shouldn't have done. I've done some stupid things. But you know what? I'm forgiven. Now, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, it is in one sense of hell. But it doesn't remove the consequences of my stupidity, of my sin. The consequences will exist. God's forgiven me. I will be able to exist with him forever in heaven. Amen. But the earthly consequences go on. If I've hurt somebody, that hurt is real. And I can't just say, well, I'm forgiven, big deal. That hurts. And those things go on. 
and I can get strength knowing that I'm forgiven, and I can, more importantly, be less likely to be sinful in the future when I remember what the cost of my forgiveness was. Highest cost could possibly be the self-sacrifice of God on my behalf, out of his great love, sacrificed himself so I could be forgiven. Cost Jesus Christ separation from his father, the persecution, all that went into it, if we've sinned, we had a part of that. And I don't want you to walk away feeling guilty about that, although if that's you know, a motivator for you, that's okay. It works with my daughter really well. But we should be responding to the forgiveness and remembering how great was the forgiveness on our part that allows me to forgive other people. And so when I'm annoyed by someone or whatever, that you know the eyes rolled, I can forgive them for that. Although pointing out that I'm forgiving you for the stupid thing you did is really not a great way to go through arguments, as, as I've learned the hard way. There's an arrogance about that that people don't like. But if I remember that I'm forgiven, it makes me a lot better at forgiving others. And so today, as we go through this time of communing with one another, remembering Jesus Christ, let's kind of focus on the forgiveness aspect of what Christ has done for us. At Grace Point, um, when we do communion, um, it is a time of remembrance. We believe that what is taught is that the elements were simply elements to help us remember. There's no special holiness of the piece of pie dough, which is unleavened for you. When Christ picked up the bread at the Last Supper where he did perform communion the first time, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in Grace Point, we believe that's what this is. This is a time of guided remembrance and focusing on Jesus Christ. We believe that parents make the determination for their their children if they should participate or not. You know your kids better than anybody else. So if it's appropriate, that's up to you. Now, if you're a believer this is meaningful. If you're not a believer today and you're listening to this, you're not going to get anything out of this. We're not going to like stop you and ask you to produce your Christian card, but we would ask that you, you observe and think and consider what we're talking about here because there's a lot going on about our faith in what we do once a month and observing this. We're empowered by God to forgive one another because he forgave us. We have the ability to be better than our flesh, to be more than simply a response to stimuli. We can think, we can consider, we can try to glorify God in all that we do. So, remembering today, for me, who I was before, each one of us before we were saved by God, were destined for destruction. We were unredeemed. We were not able to live with hope, but because of what God has done for us because of his sacrifice, because of his amazing love that we'll never get our hands on this side of glory, we can do and be closer to him and communicate and act in a way that reflects him better tomorrow than it does today. And I praise God that today I'm better than I was yesterday. Better meaning closer to Jesus Christ. And maybe closer to you guys too. That's part of our experience. That's what communion is, is all of us coming together to commune. So before we do this, we're cautioned in 1 Corinthians 11, which is kind of our our guiding scripture for this. We're cautioned to do this carefully, that a man must examine himself, man being all people. Um, And so before we do communion, it's important that we take a minute 
and just silently, if you've got sin on your heart that has not been confessed to God, now would be the time to clean that up before we go forward. So I'll just take the time of silent prayer, you and God, between the two of you. Uh, just give you that opportunity. If you've got anything unconfessed, confess it. <laughs> 